It's your life. What will 2012 bring? I hope you have the year of your life. And to move you in that direction, I'm giving you seven biblical principles that are grounded in Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2. And so in a way, this morning we're doing a uh, Bible study. We're going to look at, at two chapters of this great book of the Old Testament. And we're going to look at this man, Nehemiah, and what happened in his life. And I'll just take you through the way I would go through it myself if I was, if I was reading Scripture and preparing for a message, which we're going to have right now. Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah which means that he wrote this. He wrote this story. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month Kislev, there are 12 months in the Jewish year. Kislev is what would correspond to December in our calendar. In the month Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that I survived, the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem was a prized possession in the ancient world. And about the year 586 B.C. or so, the uh, Babylonians came over and they captured Jerusalem. Uh, The Persians later came over and beat up on the Babylonians. And in in the midst of all those wars and, and trials and tribulations, Jerusalem was really a mess, and there had been a couple trips back to try to put the city back together, but the walls still remained broken down. The gates still remained burned. It was a a reminder of devastation. It was a reminder that the city had not yet returned to the glory that God had destined it for. And so when, when Nehemiah asked this question, he has a deep concern about the city that his, his ancestors came from. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And it was like that for decades, decades, about 150 years, 140 years have passed. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So this is where I think there's a biblical principle here. What is the biblical principle? And it is find your emotional connection. It's very important to find your emotional connection. Where is it that your heart feels the things that God's heart feels? In the book, Nine Things You Simply Must Do by Dr. Henry Cloud, he writes... The reality of the life we see and live on the outside is one that emerges from the inside, from our hearts, minds, and souls. It is our internal life that creates our external one. So to find our lives, we must find what lies below the surface of our skin. We must look at, listen to, discover, and be mindful of our internal life of such things as our talents, feelings, desires, and dreams. And so right there, Nehemiah is connecting to his feelings. He is, he is broken. He feels the devastation of what it's like to have had a history of destruction, 
what it's like to, to look back in the past and, and not see the hand of blessing, but to see brokenness. And in the middle of that, there's something that breaks inside of him. And so the first biblical principle is, what is it that is breaking inside of you? What is it that God can grab a hold of that's breaking in your heart that's also breaking in his heart? Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer, prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. What he's doing here is he's confessing the sin of apathy. Jerusalem shouldn't still be all broken down. Somebody should have cared. Nobody cares. And so he's, he's saying, nobody cares. And I am so sorry that nobody cares. I'm sorry for myself and I'm sorry for everybody in Israel, for my family and everybody else's family. And, and that, see, we don't think a lot like that today because we think of individuals and individual families. But in ancient times, they always thought in terms of the community. Everybody together was one. It was supposed to be one purpose, one drive, one hope, one prayer. And so that's why he, he can pray this way because that's the way his mind thinks very naturally. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. And so, besides the confession of sin, what's the principle there? The principle that I see is evaluate your commitment to serve God and get anything blocking God's work through you out of the way. Yeah, he's confessing sin, but there's, there's something that you have to peel back. What is really going on? He's saying, I need to, to look at my life and get anything out of the way that is standing in the way of my serving God 110%. And when you think about that, it's, it's exactly what Jesus constantly called us to. As I mentioned earlier, I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, there's that sense of of connection at the core level of your being. And there are times and places, and the first of the year is a good time and a good place to evaluate that. What is it that you have to get out of the way that's blocking God's work through you right now as you move in to a new year? Evaluate your commitment. And so uh, he talks about, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. He, he shows that he remembers the biblical story. He is conversant with the, the principles upon which his own nation has been founded and his people have been been delineated for. He understands Moses and the laws and what God has done as God took them out of Egypt. And then he says this, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. That's a, an allusion to worship, people who delight in respecting and revering the name of God. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. 
This man means the king. So that's another principle right there. Base everything in 2012 on God's faithfulness. Nehemiah recognizes that God is faithful. God never lets you go. God knows exactly where you are today at the beginning of a new year. He knows exactly what happened in your life in the past year. He knows the struggles. He knows the hurts. He knows the heartache. He knows where you need to make these shifts and moves in this new year to be what he has designed for you to be this new year. And the one thing, you can't count on anything in 2012 except this one thing. God will be faithful to do through you and in you whatever his will is for you and with you. And so base everything in this new year on God's faithfulness is the third principle. He, he mentions briefly, I was cupbearer to the king. So God had put him in this position where he would be in front of the reigning authority of the kingdom every day. Every day he gets to be in front of the king. Every day he gets, he gets FaceTime with the king. He might say, it's a beautiful day out today, O king, sir. Or the king might say, oh, I'm glad you're here today, Nehemiah. But he gets to be on the inside each and every day. God prepared him even by giving him the right job for what was coming up next in his life. Nehemiah chapter two. Now four months have passed and there's something significant here. If you look at the word Nisan in the month, Nisan, it's not a car in the Bible, it's a month. In the month of Nisan, that's, that's the new year. The new year begins in that month. That's the start of the new year. So just like today, we're at the beginning of a new year. Nehemiah was at the beginning of a new year. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. You've got to be really close to the king to hand him a cup of wine. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. This is, this is unprecedented. And I love the way the Bible paints the picture. You can, you can feel as if you're right there watching this happen. Nehemiah is looking sad. He's feeling discouraged. He goes up with a cup of wine. He doesn't make eye contact with the king, possibly. The king says, you look really sad. And I know you're not sick. So this is sadness coming from your heart. And Nehemiah is now afraid. Why is he afraid? Because the king doesn't talk to a subject like this. This is a personal conversation now. A wall has come down. I was very much afraid. I, in other words, I didn't know what I was about to step into. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Again, unprecedented. This is incredible what's happening here. But again, it is, it is proof positive of God's faithfulness. God put him in that position. God had a plan for Nehemiah's life. God knew that in this new year, we were going to do something pretty spectacular. What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. Stop. Next principle, let your prayers 
these spontaneous, in-the-moment prayers. Best kind of prayers. Um, and, and I know it's hard to say this prayer is better than that prayer. Let's just say, for me, these are the best prayers. These are the prayers I pray in the morning when I walk Bodie and Wilson. These are the prayers I pray when I'm coming to a red light and I've got an extra second. These are the, the prayers that I pray when I'm sitting in my office. These are the, the prayers that, that I, I pray sometimes in the moment. I could be praying one of those prayers right now and you wouldn't even know it. Because these are the prayers that rise up in the immediacy of what's going on in your life right at that second. It just comes right from your heart, right from what's at the very front of your mind, what's on the the tip of your tongue, and you don't want to say it out loud, but you say it as a prayer. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. You know what his prayer was? Oh God, it was something like this. Oh God, here we go. It was four months ago that I cried. It was four months ago that I learned of, of something that I felt that, that you might be wanting to use my life for. And now here I am, and I know that you're in this. And I know that this is, this is something that you are doing, and I haven't done this. And so here we go. Oh, my goodness. He didn't say, oh, my goodness, but he said something like that. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Now, there's a principle in there that I didn't put down, but I just saw just right now. I'm going to tell you what it is. Always do a good job. Always do a good job, no matter what your job is, because you never know when you might have to base the rest of your life on the good job that you did for somebody. If your servant has found favor in his sight. In other words, if I've done a good job, if I've been faithful, if you've seen my honesty all the time and you have trust in me, now allow me to do this. I want to go back and I want to rebuild Jerusalem. Do you realize how, how incredible that is? He, he wants to go back and rebuild Jerusalem He's been praying about this for four months. He's been agonizing over this. He started to put together a plan in his mind, and then God opens the door, and there it is. Principle number five, plan for and carry out a mission that is too big unless God is in it with you. This is too big unless God is in it. This is impossible unless God is in it This, you shouldn't even be thinking about something like this unless God is leading. And what I've come to know and understand about life is unless we get to these places where it's just too big, it's too hard, it's too much, unless God is in it, then we shouldn't go. But when it's too big and it's too hard and it's too much and God is in it, you've got to go. You've got to see what it is that God wants to give, what it is that God wants to do. And sometimes you can't figure it out from the beginning to the end. But if you know one thing, if you know God is in it and God has led it and God has put you there and, and there's, there's this ample proof, situation upon situation, circumstance upon circumstance, open door upon open door, then you just keep going. You just keep going. And Nehemiah doesn't have all the answers right now. 
but he has put together through prayer a plan that is so big and so enormous that God's got to swoop down and help him. And that's how he has decided that he wants to live his life. That's what he decided was worth giving his life for. He is planning out a mission and he's going to carry it out. And it's too big for him unless God is in it. And the king with the queen sitting beside him said, when will you be back? When will you be back? And he had a plan and a thought and he asked for all the things. How long will your journey take? And uh, the king said, well, then you go ahead. It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also asked him that he could have letters. And so he, he's smart enough. He's got the whole thing sort of tracked out. He needs letters for this and letters for that. He needs to get safely there. Uh, he, needs, he needs timber for beams. And so the next few verses are just sort of the details of the letters that he requests and what he needs. And it says the king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me, protection for the journey. This is the first place at the uh, at this verse 10 of chapter 2, where you start to hear a little bit of, of a criticism about what he's about to do. But we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a few moments. So from verses 11 through 16, it is Nehemiah going to Jerusalem, staying there three days. He sets out during the night, it says, with a few men. He was going to, to survey the city. He went through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool. And if you look at, at a map of Jerusalem, you see this, this long, circuitous, sort of oblong. It's, it's like a, a, an oval, but it's all out of shape. It's got little ins and outs, and he's going all the way around the perimeter of the city. Um, then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. He's touching the wall. He's looking at it. He's making mental notations. Finally, I turned back and reentered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. So nobody yet even has a clue about what's about to happen. But in this, in this situation, in this year, everything is going to change for Jerusalem, for Nehemiah, and for all these people. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. He's going to tell them three things. Let's look at the first two things, and that's Principle number six, state the here to their challenge to everyone who can help. The first thing he does, as he says, it's really, really bad, and we have to accept the fact that things are really, really bad. That's a hard thing to do. Nobody wants to hear bad news like that. It's really, really a terrible situation we're in. We are totally in disgrace. So he lays out the honest truth. It's bad. It's not getting any better right now. It's just bad, and you have to look at that. 
But then he says this, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. If we, if we rebuild the wall, then everything's going to start going good. Then we have protection, we have honor, we have dignity. People won't be making fun of us anymore. And then he does this third thing. It's really bad, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to rebuild the wall. Then he says this. Also, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. He, he tells them the story. He tells them the story of what God has put in his heart. He tells them the story of, of the support of the king. The king knows about you. The king knows that, that this situation is bad. The king has supplied all these things, the wood and, and every, the army to watch over us so that we can get this done. You are on the edge of something amazing. You are on the edge of fulfilling God's plan in your life in this new year. And so the result of that, the honesty, it is bad. The honesty, we're going to do something about it. The honesty, here's the story of how God sent me and the king has provided all these things. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. It was 140 years. Nobody did anything. Why? Because there was nobody who had the passion who would bring this to the forefront of people's minds. There was no one who had the guts to say, this is bad and we can do better. But when somebody steps up and does that, everything changes. State the here to their challenge to everyone who can help. Be honest about what's bad. Be honest about what you got to do. Tell the story of what God is doing and get everybody moving. So what happens next? Oh, here's the criticism that has been in the wings and now it starts to move towards center stage. But when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What what is this you are doing? You're going to change the past? You guys have been a mess for a long time. You think this one guy shows up and you have a little pep rally and everything's going to be fine? What is this you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They're, they're putting their own spin on things. The king probably didn't say this is okay. Now you're going to be rebelling against the king. The king's going to send troops and he's going to squash this. You're going to look like you're rebelling and he's going to squash you and it's going to be worse than it was. It's going to be worse than it was ever before. Sounds like every night on CNN, doesn't it? My goodness gracious. I answered them by saying, now listen to what the answer always is in the face of criticism when you know that God has called you to a time and to a place. The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it, which in a nice way is saying, shut up and go home. Get out of the way. God is coming through. And you've got to have experiences like that in your life. Principle number seven, set boundaries on criticism and get started. You've got to start. You've got to do something. It's your life. What will 20, 
12 bring? The answer is, it'll bring what God puts on your heart. It'll bring what you're willing to have faith in the God who is faithful to you will accomplish. It is, it is right there. It's a new year, just like it was a new year for Nehemiah. It's a new year. It's not a big mystery. Last year, a year ago, we were here, and, and 2011 was a, looked like a big mystery. It's not a big mystery. You've got to make a decision about what you want 2012 to be for you, for your family, for your business maybe, for Spring Branch Community Church, for a ministry that you're involved in. Every time I look at a ministry that seems to be moving and developing and growing and stretching, I can find usually one person, sometimes it's a couple of people or a small team, but usually it's one person who has vision and a passionate heart, and they know that God has told them this is the direction to go, and no matter what happens, they're bound to go down that road. This is the key to every new year. This is the key to your life. And if you will embrace these principles, and if you will follow these principles, if you will live the story of Nehemiah in these first two chapters of Nehemiah, then 2012 will tell the story of your faith and God's faithfulness. God will be faithful to you as you become more and more faithful to him. God will do abundantly more than you could ever hope or conceive if you will lay yourself on the line to do whatever it is that is burning in your heart that you know this just has to get done. This has to get done. Have the year of your life. You can have the year of your life. You just have to want to have it. Find your emotional connection. Evaluate your commitment to serve God and get anything blocking God's work through you out of the way. Base everything in 2012 on God's faithfulness. I don't care what it looks like right now. Based the whole year on, on the fact that he's going to be faithful to do something in you and through you. Let your prayers be spontaneous in the moment prayers. Plan for and carry out a mission that is too big unless God is in it with you. State the here to their challenge to everyone who can help. This is what's bad. This is what we can do. This is the story of God in my life. Set boundaries on criticism. There will always be criticizers and naysayers. And, and a lot of the time, a lot of the time, those are folks that you know well. They're people in your family. They're people that you work with. Set boundaries on criticism and get started. It's your life. What will 2012 bring? You can have the year of your life if you want it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look at Nehemiah's life and we see this man believe in, in something that you put in his heart, allow us to have a Nehemiah kind of a heart, to believe in what you have put in our hearts. Give us 
moments when we can see you moving and stretching and growing us. Allow us to have more spontaneous prayers. Allow us to set boundaries on criticism and get started. Father, in all these things, allow us to face what's bad and then decide to do what's right about it. Allow us never to forget the story of you one day a long time ago saying, start this church, be this church, make this church a light in the world and allow us to live out your story in 2012. You are so faithful, Father. Allow us to be faithful to you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.